Welcome to December's edition of the CCA podcast, coming to you via Sunny Govan FM, with four guests who represent the range of events that are happening in the CCA across December, from films to artistic research through programming and questioning the very format of the exhibition itself. Alex Misek is the CCA's program coordinator and discusses a couple of call-outs to artists. Lissandra Suriel visited the CCA on a residency with Tilting Axis, an endeavour pivoting on a Caribbean axis for a creative and academic ecology of art and culture. Basma al-Sharif brings a philistine to the galleries, a work which uses a distinctive mixture of word and image to consider the creation and dissolution of borders over time. And Pity Party Film Club discuss their distinctive approach to cinematic curation. My first guest for December's had a work that is in several of the gallery spaces across the CCA. Would you mind introducing yourself first of all? My name is Basmal Sharif. Great. And where have you come from? Cairo, where okay. I'm recently based. Now, I believe that the exhibition is based on a novella. Mm-hmm. Could you tell me a little bit about the, the story of the novella and what is it all about? Yeah, I mean, the idea came as a, like, to make to make sort of a, a book as a, an art project and not as a like a visual object but actually the content inside the book to be the work and that the work would come to life by having people come and read the book in the space so it was never intended as a as like a novel or a novella in a proper publishing form or uh, object I guess um, but something that really only exists in a gallery so it's really experimenting with like the literature format as an art form away from a public space and having it in I mean I guess it is still a public space but having it in the gallery space so I I had this idea for a story that would travel through parts of the Middle East that I'm kind of interested in exploring outside of their present political conditions. So it's, uh, I kind of invented a story um, about a person who travels from present-day Lebanon through 1935 Palestine and ends up in late dynasty Egypt. So it's a story that's moving forward, but is um, like the narrative is going forward someplace, but the time is moving backwards radically. And it was a way of exploring what that territory would look like before borders and before the present condition of the political situation. And yeah, and to have it be a kind of allegorical tale uh, that helps us reflect on the modern situation that we're in let's say let's call it that <laughs> well both the title of the book and the exhibition is a philistine which is quite a, a loaded mm, a loaded term exactly. what, what was it that made you decide on a philistine as the title well a lot of things and a lot of it is about having people interact with that or try to guess at what the title means because it is such a it's a slippery term and it has multiple definitions i mean our current understanding of what a philistine is is someone who's sort of um oblivious to culture is crass so on but we also kind of understand it might be geographically located and we're not always sure who it's referring to whether it's Semites or or Palestinians or what it means and so the term is sort of used in a slippery way in the story or referred to or insinuated and so there are, are a lot of reasons or there's a lot of ways in which I'm using the term in the book but I think it's ultimately up to the reader to decide which form it's taking. Is that notion of the the ignorant Philistine is that something that goes outside of English language as well does that turn up in Arabic for example so the Arabic translation that we decided to go with because there is no equivalent word but there's a very similar term that is kind of like the equivalent of gypsy and it's nawar so the in in Arabic the title is nawariya and it's the way that you would refer so it was, it's like saying the pronoun for gypsy so in address to a person and so it's referring to an actual people but it's but in its current um, in its current use it's an insult it's a way of saying 
saying like you're a cra- you know, crass person or you're uncivilized or something. So it's similarly playing. I mean, it's a less loaded term in a way or we're less aware of how loaded it is in Arabic. And so there's a nice kind of play for people who understand both languages mm. with that title. But certainly it's, it's quite striking in English. Mm to use that but then if you're in that geographical location that you're talking about Mm -hmm. in the exhibition and in the book it actually does refer to a group of people who existed at some point yeah and I think for Palestinians sometimes it's it's used out as like an evidence of oh we were that's referring to us and we were there before this conflict um, began Uh, and for others it's like no that's a term that has nothing to do with us it's not it's not referring to a people it's referring to a a character type Um, so I think it's that's also sort of how I'm playing with it is like um, it might be assumed that I'm using this term in a positive way as like identifying with Palestine or Palestinians but it's not always clear in the book yeah. it's a little more slippery than that as you yeah imagine. yeah. I think the first thing is coming in to talk to you you've challenged me a little bit with this notion of the book that's read in the space mm. so is the exhibition itself you, you have a copy of the text as mm-hmm. well is it, and that's part of it and then the exhibition, if you like, is supportive of that or illustrative? Exactly. So the work, was, which is I'm, I'm considering as an installation work, is centered around, there are 50 copies of the book, both that have both English and Arabic. Um, and essentially you check out the book in the space, so you can't take it out of the space ever. My idea was that it would be something that could be read within average two hours. Some people obviously might read slower, some people way faster, but it was kind of based on, I capped like the word count at what I thought would be a reasonable amount of time to expect people to stay but also maybe pushing them like actually you're if if this were a film and it was two hours long you would have to sort of decide whether or not you were going to see the whole thing and so I'm trying to do the same with the book so you come in there's um we're setting up a kind of reading room uh which I I think is going to be really lush and comfortable and hopefully encourage people to stay and then in the other space in the adjoining gallery there are images that were taken on a kind of road trip through the former Yugoslavia so through Serbia Croatia and Bosnia because that landscape mimics a lot of what is happening in the text or is a good sort of visual parallel also through kind of spaces that are becoming obsolete so the project also has a bit to do with um, obsolete practices and things that we imagine are unchangeable but can be changed or things like borders which we imagine will always be present might not you know might not be present in the future or have not been in the past so the the sort of the whole installation outside of the book is also comprised with these images and images that are found in the book are also in the gallery space which were taken from the Library of Congress by sort of colonial photographers in the Middle East and reappropriated for this text and sort of altered so hopefully kind of giving a, another dimension to the work than than what more than what is just in the book. I mean the first thing that strikes me there is formally in terms of the structure or the nature of an installation and or reading experience, there's a lot of challenges going on artistically Mm. that you're you're challenging those boundaries, if you like. Mm. I mean, was that important to you in terms of in telling this story? Did it need a form that perhaps is unfamiliar? Yeah, exactly. I think think for me it was, it's also like a question about when you're working with political material is is the art world actually the right space for it because you're addressing a liberal audience more often than not they're on your side or you're preaching to the choir and and so I, I sort of feel like I am questioning the space of the gallery as a relevant space for bringing this material in and so for me it was also about actually really enacting or engaging a physicality a physical like a 
a less passive sort of engagement with these ideas, but really forcing a body in a space and in a collective space at the end, because you can't take the book home. You can't read it on your iPod or your your iPod here or your iPhone. <laughs> I just went back in time. <laughs> um, you can't read it. Um, it's, it has to be in physical form. So yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, it, it was a question to myself, like if I walked into the space, would I spend the time to read a book? Because it's, it's an activity that I feel you don't see people, or it's almost nostalgic now when you see someone sitting on a bench reading a book and that's really heartbreaking for me so I think as much as it's about the ideas in in the project it's also about just like trying to exactly use a form that is a bit um yeah challenging I guess to its audience and and there is that sense of looking backwards to things that perhaps are slightly lost both in terms of I I think there might be a question about what is lost by the existence of borders, mm. which, is, which is quite a contemporary question, mm-hmm. I think, for the UK at the moment. Yeah, right. And draw, drawing parallels as well there, you, you were talking about uh, European locations mm-hmm. and, and not just having it simply of the journey itself mm-hmm. and, and where that happened geographically, mm-hmm. but drawing an analogy with, with other places where borders have been kind of destructive mm-hmm. or unstable. Mm-hmm. And what is it about borders that grabbed you, really? What's, what is it that makes it a, a fit study work like this? I mean, as a Palestinian, uh, borders are a really important question, I think, because it's in a way I was raised with the notion that we have to be given a state and we have to be officially a people and that this has been, you know, the ongoing conflict my entire life, my parents' life, the majority of my grandparents' life. And at some point, you know, I think everybody, you know, questions whether or not this is the thing that we need or it's exactly the thing that's oppressing us, the lack of being acknowledged by the, the very thing that's oppressing us, like the fact that we were colonized before the occupation by Israel and that now with the occupation of Israel, it's almost like the only way out ha- is through the very thing that's oppressing us so for me it's really about I think yeah as you say it's the question on everybody's mind I think in contemporary times about like what is the role of the nation state in our rights as civilians and so and whether or not we should still trust in it and so for me the book was also like a a kind of exercise in 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 going back in time and remembering that this space did not that these things are very modern constructions and that maybe we're reaching it's the sort of last hurrah of the of you know this sort of failure in civilization and perhaps sort of going back and seeing where the roots of those failures mm. are all the, all the roots of the successes as well but failures mm. certainly in terms of the notion of the boundary and the border itself. Mm. is there any sort of precedent for this kind of work that combines reading and an installation is there anything you would point to and say well these, these are similar kind of ideas and approaches mm, that's a good question i actually don't think i mean i never even thought to research whether this had been done before i did i certainly didn't feel i don't feel like i'm doing something innovative by having a book in a space as in an art space or as a as a work i'm i i know that there have been works where it's like a, a essentially setting up a library with texts and people engage. I don't know if any artist has ever like written a book that is a, pro- a work and asking people to engage in it. So I, I wasn't, yeah, I can't say that it was actually inspired by something that I'd seen. It was just like a, I work a lot with text and image um, in my practice, like generally speaking. And I think I wanted to kind of challenge myself to see if I could um, write a story, like write a narrative fictional story that uh, would have some function other than just being a piece of literature I guess. Um, so yeah, I can't say that it was influenced by something I'd seen or researched. 
Because mm. there's something very exciting in that juxtaposition of text and image. And it mm. doesn't seem as if it's simply an illustration. It's not as if you can read a paragraph and look at the image. There's something about a, a commentary mm. and a tension between the image and the text. Yeah, I think, I mean, the relationship often creates another image that we don't see. So it's like text is a kind of image and image is a stand-in for something else. And so I think when you bring those two together, you're actually creating like a new visual code. And so I think, yeah, for me, it was like about really pushing the length because certainly I'm, I'm very comfortable with image making or working with images. And I think with text, it's always been very short form, sort of like within films or videos or photographs. And so I like to really push it in the form of a long book was gruelingly difficult and intimidating and just made me like sort of confused by language and just aware of actually like the great talent that it takes to write a book, which is certainly not what I've done. I don't feel like this is a book in that sense, you know, but it's an it's an exercise in sort of storytelling and, and was really complicated for me, actually, as an artist to undertake. So although you're bringing together literature and visual art, let's put it mm. that way, there, there's something about it where it becomes its own thing, a kind of third category. Mm. Is there anything else you can do with the with the work after this? Is it going to be exhibited somewhere else or would you consider making it into a film perhaps? I, I, yeah, I think I originally had the idea that like this could almost be the script for a visual work, a, f a filmic work. Um, and then when I really started writing it, I felt what well, got into the writing, I felt like, no, actually, I want this to stay as what it is and not be anything else, like sort of be this weird in between non, not a book, not an art piece, like uh, not a precious object, but not something to be discarded. Like, I, I think I, I, yeah, it was, it seemed natural almost to think of it as like the precursor to something else, but I'm excited about taking it to different locations and having it exhibited. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that there'll be interest in the work. It's already been shown in Toronto as part of the Mafrodot um, Commission. And so this is the second location. And I've had, you, I've had, you know, a few curious people curious about it that would want to show it. So I hope that that'll materialize and that it'll go to different spaces. Because I think it's also the kind of work that would really change based on where it's shown and have probably very different receptions. So it'd be great to be able to show it somewhere in the Middle East or um, Turkey or I don't know. Yeah, the United States might have a different sort of engagement with it. So hopefully. Wonderful stuff. Well, the exhibition is happening until the 15th of December mm -hmm. and it's in the CCA. And uh, you've actually got a screening of something called Ouroboros. Ouroboros, yeah. yeah. What, what is that? How does that connect to it? So that's a film, it's the first feature-length film that I finished in 2017. It had its premiere at the Whitney Biennial in the film program. Um, and it's a film that I worked on for about three years uh, that is a kind of homage to the Gaza Strip. So it's a film that is an experimental, um, non-linear narrative um, that uh, they'll be screening just alongside, um, I guess, this exhibition. And that'll, have an, that'll be introduced by someone, I believe, because I won't be... <clears throat> I won't be here myself for that. And also in the exhibition is a, a program of three um, shorter works of mine that'll be playing on loop as part of the, the main exhibition. So there's, I guess it's the kind of way of, which is also, I should say, like most of my work does involve usually moving image. And so this is one of the rare pieces that is not including that. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. Once again, I have a guest today who is really part of the fabric of the building, I feel. Alex, welcome. And you're going to be talking about two call-outs, I believe, Intermedia and also the Creative Lab. 
first of all, can you tell me a, a little bit about what is Intermedia Gallery and what is the call out all about? Intermedia Gallery is, uh, well, in a sense, it's not actually a kind of CCA program. It's, uh, it's a program funded by Glasgow Life. The Intermedia Gallery um, well, kind of moved into CCA in 2006. So I guess that's been for the last sort of 13 years that we've uh, housed Intermedia Gallery here. Originally was based down in Trongate 103, kind of alongside Transmission, Print Studio, a number of other kind of organisations down there. And when when Trongate 103 was was redeveloped, essentially it kind of became unmoored from 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 that building. So in a sense, we we kind of offered to offer uh, space within the building to house the Intermedia Gallery program uh, within CCA. It's a kind of program that is there to um, try and try and give sort of artists who are maybe one or two years out of art school, or perhaps a bit sort of artists who are younger in their practice try and give them a first sort of substantive show within CCA, within a kind of more recognised kind of institution or organisation. If you like, it's something that that is there as, as, as a kind of stepping stone through people's kind of careers and sort of practices. It's been up there for quite a few years. It's on the second floor, I think. Yeah. The the building and it is a nice commanding view of the entire environment so what what is the call out who who do you call out to you obviously to emerging artists i guess is the appropriate word and what yeah, do they have to do to get involved we basically do a yearly call out with the application deadline through to uh, early early january of next year so we give we give people quite a quite a long period uh, and 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 sort of taking into account sort of christmas and new year as well for people to to get submissions in and then for that um, we we put everything out on our kind of website it's also sort of um through through all the sort of channels that we have available and and essentially we, we we're asking for sort of proposals for finished finished kind of exhibition if you like the sort of public moment that that people are kind of maybe like looking for for their projects because whilst Generally, they're mainly kind of exhibition proposals that we have. It's also, we also kind of leave that open to the way that people work and the sort of projects and their practices and what that sort of also entails. So we're also kind of quite flexible in terms of what those kind of applications might be. It is predominantly kind of aimed at Glasgow-based artists just because of some of the kind of parameters of the exhibition. With it, we offer a £600 fee for the exhibition, but that does include the requirement to kind of invigilate the space as well as to uh, prepare, install and deinstall the exhibition itself as well. So we, we do try and sort of plug in and help where we can, but ostensibly we, we kind of offer the space as is and, and largely it's the artist's kind of responsibility to kind of to kind of manage the whole their 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 exhibition, it's quite a versatile space, isn't it? It's a, almost like a classic white box space, mm-hmm. but there's plenty of things that you can do in there. I know a lot of the exhibitions are perhaps you might call them quite traditional mm-hmm. in terms of being images on the wall, but there are other things that people can do in there as well. I know there's been podcasts that have come out of it. I know that the fanzine library actually mm-hmm. did quite an interesting exhibition up there. What kind of things have you had in the past that sort of stand out as either typical or distinctive exhibitions yeah sure so i think i think it, it's, it's quite interesting i think it can really range i mean i think the sort of recent sort of trend within applications we've seen a lot of artists sort of proposing to do various kind of to screen essentially video works that they've been working on so and and i think that just sort of mirrors a bit the sort of current trajectory and kind of artists kind of practice and, and a lot of the focus in terms of things that sort of come out from art school but I mean we've seen some people do some quite kind of interesting and kind of ambitious kind of installations and this is sort of also thinking back quite a few years with the project that Toby Christian did which in, in which he actually kind of lowered the entire kind of ceiling within the gallery and had this sort of uh, sort of suspended ceiling tiles that had this uh, 
sort of sort of image of a sky across mm-hmm. across all the tiles that were sort of suspended in there. So I guess it's got various kind of features. Like we've got the uh, unistrut channels, so you're able to actually kind of suspend and hang. Uh, it's it's got a kind of load bearing ceiling, so it's it, it, you know in a sense when you when you, when you talk about it, kind of uh, being versatile. And then I guess sort of from there how can somebody apply is it on the cca website yeah so um all the applications will will be put out on our kind of social media on the cca website and then also tend to get sort of shared by other people that we're working with along with sort of glasgow life just just about the sort of call for applications in a sense being kind of open um and we tend to just sort of do that we, we have a kind of application form that's fairly self-explanatory kind of takes you through everything we usually ask for about 800 words sort of project description that's maybe the bulk of what what we what what we would sort of need we don't we don't need a huge amount in terms of your budgets or like how you're going to kind of manage it it's not quite the same as doing like a creative scotland funding application or anything like that we try and make the process hopefully a little bit more kind of straightforward and then uh, and then other than that we'd also require an artist cv and then just images of images of your work so i think it's for us it's about trying to get as as best an understanding as possible of the work that you make the the practice that you pursue and what kind of interests you along with the kind of application for the for the specific exhibition or project that you're kind of proposing to us although you said at the beginning it came over from chongate it mm. seems to fit in quite nicely with the ethos of what the cca is about that sense of open source programming which i'm not going to get into because <laughs> that becomes a big theme whenever it does yeah. but it is something that is typical i think of what the cca does mm-hmm. in terms of new artists are able to get a space and opening it up and people being able to come in and, and do their thing as well, that sort of freedom, which leads me quite nicely to Creative Labs, which is a slightly different kind of call out, I guess, mm-hmm. and a different kind of experience. What what are the Creative Lab residences? Yeah, so, uh, and, and I think it's interesting that you kind of say that in, in, in relation to kind of intermediate, because in a way, like the, the, the intermediate has, has started to feel more sort of embedded within kind of CCA. And in, in a way, the kind of Creative Lab offers like a sort of counterpoint kind of opportunity for kind of artists in terms of in terms of how they work with us. So the creative lab is is in a way for the opposite of, of intermediate. And that's for that's for ideas and projects that are maybe kind of at their really sort of kind of initial stages of development or they haven't really much like left the drawing board or there's a few things that artists are looking to sort of try things out and sort of play around with. And this is very specifically a non-outcome based residency. So it, it's very much sort of aimed at that. With that, we offer a month-long sort of residence in the Creative Lab, which is a space that's accessible just off the kind of main atrium uh, of uh, or the courtyard space of CCA. And also with sort of windows on Suckey Hall Street. Mm-hmm. So it's got this kind of funny dual aspect of both being sort of aware of its position on, on the street, but also sort of references internally the rest of the building. And I think that's what we try and take advantage of is the fact that, in a sense, through the Creative Lab, we're trying to attempt to sort of situate artists within CCA, within the milieu of kind of everything else going on in the building, all the other kind of partner organisations that we work. And then it's also, it, 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 it's very much about the sort of conversations in a sense. And I guess trying to have those sort of conversations with the CCA staff and other people that we kind of share, share the building, the kind of space with. Well, I know it's a very diverse range of artists to get involved in that because you've had everything from musicians through video projection, through performance right up to in visual artists just using that space and even writing projects in there. So so this one seems to be very open in terms of its invitation. Mm-hmm. It's not really limiting down to 
people that might work in the galleries, all sorts of things come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess we, we also have a few kind of strands to that program as well. So we've got our kind of general call out, but um, there'd be slightly different dates, which, which we're still sort of confirming, but tends to be a little bit just kind of after the, the, the main sort of creative lab call out. But we also do a creative lab with um, AC projects with um, Alistair Campbell, that as part of sort of counterflows, and that is quite specifically a kind of music-based kind of residency mm-hmm. for artists, sort of more predominantly working with within sort of sound and and or sort of like noise practices. And so, I guess that's more sort of specifically tailored to 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 to, mm-hmm. to that kind of aspect. But again, yes, it's a it's a completely it, it's a it's an open remit. So we we have had sort of people um, it, whose whose practices might be more described as sort of dance or sort of performance also using that space but also we're, we're sort of keen for it to also sort of extend you know, the, the creative lab is a good is a good size space mm. um i think it's about sort of 11 by 6 meters so there's a lot of space to really sort of play around with it but i think what i also try and do is encourage people to kind of think about other spaces within the building whilst they're in residence so well said sort of gaps in the program they might be able to record something for example in the cinema or they might use, be able to use the theatre to sort of try things out with with some of our technicians, just to try and kind of encourage people to think about and push their work mm-hmm. and see where it might kind of go. And then the other aspect to it is we do, it, it's whilst it's non-outcome based, we do kind of encourage people, you know, if it's helpful for what they're trying to resolve with their work, to to maybe think about a sort of public sharing of to find a forum to it to, yeah. to to bring in those sort of questions and potentially also open up sort of their thinking process mm-hmm. to the public as well and try and bring in people that that, that might not be so sort of so familiar with their work. It's really that sense of the openness of the project that, that strikes me talking about it. Both the openness in terms of who can apply, but also the way in which it comes quite porous as an experience in that they're in the building. They're looking out on Socky Hall Street. They're probably getting the noise mm-hmm. from Socky Hall Street, which is usually quite good of an evening, I have to say. Yeah. If you want, you want creative inspiration, <laughs> the noises from Socky Hall Street will always work out well. But it, it seems to me as well that both of these projects, which and you were going to call out, and I should check again for the Creative Lab, that is on, online as well on the website? That will be, that, that will run and we'll have the sort of deadline for that on Wednesday 11th of December. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does this fit in with what you generally do, Alex? Because you're always here and... I, Many people walking around the building doing things. What, what's your role in the CCA? So, so I work here as um, and have worked here. I guess in, in stages, sort of on and off, <laughs> the last sort of four years or so. Um, but working at CCA, about three of those as the program coordinator. Mm-hmm. So essentially, that entails, uh, uh, along with sort of, if you like, sort of overseeing Creative Lab and the intermedia callouts and sort of working sort of quite directly with the kind of artists and trying to trying to link them up with with other people necessarily within the building or trying to support them where we can. The other big aspect perhaps takes up more of my time is, is what we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, which is actually uh, looking, looking after the a large proportion of the other events that are kind of taking place in the building, which all kind of, if you like, sort of come to us through this kind of open source approach that we have to how we consider the spaces and how we program the spaces. So ostensibly these, these are the events that are taking place in the theatre, the cinema, the club room, and a few of the other kind of spaces in between and the gaps. If so, like. so in some ways you're the person who's behind most of the people in one way or the other who come onto the CCA podcast because you're the one coordinating all of these events. I mean, it's a huge project to, to yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you, are mean, you okay? <laughs> I mean, it's exhausting. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it can be uh, a little bit discombobulating because I guess trying, trying, trying to also just sort of keep on top of necessarily the amount of things kind of mm-hmm. going on 
the amount of different ideas and the amount of different sort of contacts. But I guess what, what I'm always trying to do is kind of lead that quite conversationally. So if anyone is kind of looking to sort of perhaps or has an idea or something that they might want to try and do and they think that that, that could be appropriate at CCA, then I'm, they always just kind of encourage people to email me, get in touch. And, and I'm, more often than not, I'm able to meet with everybody. And so I guess we always try and see, you know, from the point of discussion, like what, what we can do to necessarily to kind of help help people. So I think in a way that, you know, the creative lab and the intermediate are, are different modes of sort of call out. So so that we can, and and, and they're, they're means for us of like starting conversations which which it's kind of all about and there's maybe different ways that we can sort of plug in and help and kind of support different artists individuals organizations throughout their their journey as it were wonderful well thank you so much alex for chatting today i'm aware that you have an incredibly busy job because i can't even begin to count the number of events that are actually happening this week let alone across the year so thank you so much for coming in thanks guys I think it has become traditional on the podcast to have at least one guest or a set of guests who are doing something cinematic. So I'm just going to ask my two guests to introduce themselves and their organisation, first of all. So my name's Calvin Halliday from Petty Party Film Club. Hi, I'm Jay from Petty Party Film Club as well. Can I just ask you then, what is the Petty Party Film Club? Uh, well, it's a film club where we uh, basically we just organise uh, screenings. There's uh, no kind of set theme to it, really. It's just things that we like or things that we feel deserve a kind of deserve an audience. And we're in the CCA pretty much every month, yeah. more or less, either in the downstairs cinema or upstairs at the theatre. And we've collaborated with a few other like independent programmers in Glasgow. That's pretty much sums it up I think that's us so you've been involved with the CCA for quite a, a while now what what is it about the CCA that makes it a good place for your kind of work probably accessibility is one of them and quite easy to organise and work with really yeah I mean they definitely make the technical side of things easy a lot of the time when uh, in places where we've hosted other stuff there's usually all manner of carry on yeah trying to actually just get things to work whereas in here you just come in and it's it's they kind of it takes the pressure off because they have really good tech staff that know what they're doing and it's just yeah. a really good space for films I mean the little cinema downstairs especially it's just a really great room yeah it just it feels nice like even if you don't pack the place out it just it feels busy and it feels kind of it feels nice although we usually do pack the place out <laughs> can I just ask about the name a pity party what was it that inspired the name um who came up with it uh, I think it was you. Was it the name of a Melanie Martinez song? Or oh dear, something? yeah. I think it was just like a random. Sort of, we just kind of wanted a, the alliteration. Yeah, we just it, there's really no sort of oh. logic to it. Just a little phrase that sounded pretty. Yeah, and I don't know. When I was thinking about it, I thought it's quite funny. Like the idea of a petty party and just watch films. Yeah, I, I don't know. People <laughs> sometimes do come on. Go, what's up? What's up with the name? <laughs> I, I don't know. What's up with the name? Really. No. I guess we just stuck with it and then never thought about it again. <laughs> yeah. Until I come back and ask questions yeah. about it. So it's worth saying you're coming in December. Uh, what, what's, what have you got for us in December? Uh, so in December on the 7th, um, it's a film called Arg, A Music War, which is like a, it's a concert film from, I think, 1981 or thereabouts, sometime in the early 80s. It's like a concert film that was filmed over a few different nights I think over three nights 
and it's all sort of kind of post-punk new wave bands so there's more popular stuff like The Police and uh, The Go-Go's, XTC, things like that. Klaus Nomi. Yeah, Klaus Nomi's in there. Uh, I think there's like 28 bands in total. There's The Cramps, The Au Pairs. I think UB40 I think maybe they were quite cool at one point uh, so yeah it's basically just a kind of compilation concert film and just a sort of document of that kind of post-punk new wave mm. Is it very typical of what you programme? Uh, I don't think we have actually done a, f- a programmed a concert film like that we've done a couple of uh vaguely music theme well we showed a documentary a few months ago which was all about oh yeah uh, ska music in the 90s that was kind of when i was in school that was my sort of like well maybe not formative music but i was definitely let <laughs> into all that stuff and um, i don't know if we ha- i don't know if we've ever actually have we done anything else like that before no i don't think so no it seems to be quite an interesting one you mentioned there ub40 as being quite hip so in some ways it's a bit of a snapshot of a time before well sting and the police not someone you necessarily associated with being terribly cool these days yeah definitely <laughs> like i think it's sort of in those kind of early days the police actually were quite credible and then Sting sort of spoiled it with this <laughs> kind of behaviour after the fact. Yeah. Releasing sort of horrible concept albums and uh, I don't know. Yeah, God knows the what he's done. Yeah, yeah, things like that and collaborating with Jimmy Nail and what other such crimes. But yeah, I think at one point they were actually, I mean, the police were, were definitely great at some point. Yeah, the, the first few albums, I would still stand by them. <laughs> Is there any particular highlights? And have you seen the film already yourselves? And anything you're really looking forward to sharing with other people? We actually haven't watched it yet. No, ourselves. this is kind of part of the reason that we wanted to screen it. Was I just thought it would be kind of fun to watch it for the first time, like in a cinema. Yeah, people. We've done that with a couple of our films. Yeah, there's a couple of films we've done. Well, the doc, the the Scar documentary. That we yeah, that was. That was actually like a UK premiere, so we decided not to watch it in advance. Just yeah. It's quite fun. To yeah. Sometimes potentially quite offensive, so we wanted to kind of make sure there was nothing that would get us cancelled. <laughs> yeah, before we've begun, really, yeah. But uh, yeah, occasionally we'll do, if something just looks interesting, we'll take a punt on it and show it without vetting it first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you're quite comfortable that there'd be nothing offensive in this one, then? I think so, apart from the UB40. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Is, is it a case that you're really doing this because there's films that you'd like to see in, a, in an environment, of a cinematic environment, and you're really basically creating the thing that you want to happen? Essentially, yeah. Yeah. Um, quite like going to the cinema. Um, and if I can have somewhat control of what is on, then, yeah, let's, yeah, let's I mean, do it. I just want to... I just... I think we just pick things that we want to see or if it's something we've not seen in a while it's like, oh should we watch that yeah or you know either we'll watch it at home or we'll just program a screening yeah here. yeah yeah is there something quite special for you about watching a film in in a cinema space rather than just simply being at home doing it that seems to be a bit of a thread there that you want other people around essentially yeah I mean it's quite cosy in the cinema obviously we quite like especially when we're showing like a comedy I quite like hearing other people laughing along with. Yeah, it's like it's quite nice. You hear people laugh. You're like, oh, I did. This. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's sort of like when you like invite when you've got like a friend round and 
you show them one of your favourite films and you're kind of watching them, you make sure that they're like enjoying it properly. Yeah. And laughing at the right parts. It's sort of like that on a on a bigger scale. Yeah. Or and, gasping. <laughs> yeah. Like people come out and they're like, oh, I really loved that. You know, it's, you almost feel... Like you'd like, made it. Yeah, yeah. Like somehow responsible. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just like a purely selfish thing, narcissist but, yeah, yeah, I quite like that feeling of just being responsible for people's happiness yeah and going into the new year I think you've got something in February as well coming to the CCA which is it's a selection it's a bit of programming isn't it it's a couple of shows I think yeah we've got an all day event uh, it's called Suitable Women and the theme is films of female friendship uh, this is the third third edition of that we've We've done two previous ones. It's basically four films, all with the kind of theme of friendship between women. And yeah, so the the four films that we're showing, that is on Saturday the 15th of February. It starts with Career Girls, the Mike Lee film. And then it's a film called Clock Watchers, which is a kind of workplace comedy drama from the mid-90s. It's got Tony Collette, Lisa Kudrow, Parker Posey, and then we've got Tangerine, which was a film that came out a few years ago uh, by a guy called Sean Baker, who also went on to direct The Florida Project, which was kind of a big film a couple of years ago. And it's just about these two sex workers who are friends in Los Angeles. One of them's just out of prison and she finds out that her boyfriend cheated on her while, they, while she was in prison. And then the two of them basically kind of spend the night roaming around the kind of LA underworld trying to track this guy down and batter him <laughs> and then we're ending the film uh, sorry ending the programme with actually another film that weirdly neither of us have ever seen As in- uh, which is <laughs> Thelma and Louise which is kind of in many ways like the ultimate film of female friendship. I, I don't really know how neither of us have managed to see it at some mm. point over the years, but that was an example of one where we thought we really we both really want to see it and we also think people will really like it. And it's also, it's a couple of the other films that we're programming are a bit more obscure, whereas that one is, in theory anyway, will hopefully put bums on seat. Yeah. And it's a cult classic, yeah. so... And I'm sure it's great. Yeah. I trust that it's good. <laughs> I think that's a great way to approach the programming, isn't it? To have something that's introducing new films to people, perhaps slightly culty or art house films, and then having Thelma and Louise at the end for a big sort of celebration, yeah. I think. When we've done the previous editions of the kind of Super Women All Dares, we try and do maybe one or two that are a bit more popular. Like the first time we did it, I think it was clueless or um, no that was the time before that was last time yeah we showed Romeo and michelle's high school reunion and (laughs) it was only like six months ago i can't remember now but yeah we tried to kind of balance that things that are maybe a bit more recognizable with things that are a bit more obscure knowing that they'll maybe not be as popular but it might catch the eye of some people who are drawn in by the things that they maybe recognize so it's kind of about getting that balance we don't want to feel like we're just putting things on just because they'll be popular yeah but at the same time you know you've got to get people in the door yeah so yeah we like to try and uh, find a kind of balance between like what we like and what other people like but ultimately i don't think we'd ever put something on that we didn't have uh 
that we didn't have some kind of attachment to. Yeah, because it comes like they're all about female friendships. So if you like one, you'll probably like the other. That's that you've maybe not heard of or thought. Well, oh, I've not seen this before, but yeah, yeah it worked. It works out like that. Yeah, you usually get a few people coming up at the end and say like, "Oh, I hadn't heard of this, but it, I really enjoyed it." And it's nice to kind of I don't know. I think about all the times when I first saw like my films that went on to be my favourite films and I think about the first time I saw them it's kind of nice to think that you could be in some way responsible for maybe introducing somebody to a film that goes on to be one of their favourites and they maybe wouldn't have seen or even heard of otherwise or hadn't seen for a long time like Muriel's Wedding was another one we just shown yeah Muriel's Wedding we showed as part of the other Suitable Women um, programme in was that February this year no it was the summertime or just before summer was that March or April yeah something like that and we showed uh, Muriel's Wedding uh, which is like one of our favourites and there was a few people there that afterwards said oh I've not seen that in a long time and you know I think a film like that means quite a lot to people so it's nice yeah. to I know a lot you know something like that is quite easily available people could just watch it at home if they really wanted to but I think you just can't help but watch a film differently when you go out to the cinema and it's you know the film starts at this time it's gonna play whether you're there or not and I don't know that I just think and we all watch loads of stuff at home as well and I'm not against people doing that <laughs> but I just I don't know it's just a different environment yeah, isn't totally. it it's just what you just watch things differently in the cinema I know I do yeah just to bring us back to December December the 7th can you just remind me what you're putting on then because I've got distracted by these other wonderful films that you're putting on okay so the one in December is called Arg A Music War and that's the kind of new wave punk concert film mm. where can I get information or tickets from about this do you have a website or do you just use the CCA one uh, yeah well it's all on the CCA website uh, we sell our tickets through Eventbrite but on the CCA website there's links to that or in their brochure yeah or, or yeah. in the brochure I think it'll have details as well uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram just if you search for Pity Party Film Club you'll find it usually yeah yeah I think that's pretty much it we don't do Twitter no we be bothered with that <laughs> Just no. one more thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if yeah, if you just Google Pity Party Film Club, something will come up. That's great. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, yeah. My final guest today has come all the way from upstairs, who is on a residency here. Lissandro, welcome to the cinema and welcome to the CCA podcast. Could you introduce yourself, first of all? Hi, thank you for having me here today. My name is Lissandro Surreal. I today I came from the elevator upstairs or through via the elevator from upstairs um, but I am born and raised and came from the island of St. Martin it's a very small one of the smallest binational places on earth located in the Caribbean Sea but you're here for a month you've been here for a month I believe you're a photographer is that right yes I am a photographer and artistic researcher and right now I'm doing a residency here at CCA in partnership with um, Tilting Axis and I'm here researching, or part of my research is exploring the black imagination of the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. How did you end up here at the CCA's Tilting Axis residency? How did they get in touch with you or you get in touch with them? What was the connection point? So I was in Brazil working on this project um, where I met my manager. And he had no, he knew of a curator from Martinique based in London 
and she had sent through the application form for mm-hmm. tilting access. So it's actually a pretty roundabout way mm. of getting to it. But I hadn't um, particularly heard of tilting access at the time. But there's a, because what we were talking about before, we were talking to what we wanted the girls from tilting access is that sometimes in the Caribbean, it's hard to, um, this inter-island communication is sometimes very difficult or you sometimes miss some cultural or historical things as well. So it was good to have that network through my manager from New Orleans in Brazil who knew a curator for Martinique based in London and now I'm here in Glasgow. And this is your first time in Glasgow? Yes, it's my first very wonderful, very welcoming time here. So you're enjoying it so far? Yes, I Mm -hmm. really am. I really am. So I'm very excited to be here. And you're working through photography still as part of this residency. That's still your focus? Yes. Yes and no. Well, part of my photographic works always incorporates a lot of reading a lot of visual um, research through what something I call the atlas, um, which I can talk to you more about today. What is that? Well, an atlas is um, basically a device in which you can juxtapose various elements of interest to kind of produce new knowledge in a sense. It is basically a... It's kind of created by Abby Warburg, and he wanted to know what the secret relationships were between images. And what he did is he took a bunch of images, and he placed them next to each other to kind of trace a red line through um, the history of how things were depicted or why certain things were popular and certain things aren't. And I think you can take this to the next step and incorporate your own ideas, Mm -hmm. your own dreams, your own writing, um, Various media, um, various media like um, poetry, videos on YouTube, news articles, if you all collect them in a very specific way, I think they can kind of shed light on a way of knowing that you hadn't understood before. And is this particularly useful as a photographer, that kind of practice to to feed into your, your outcomes, if you like? Yes, because I think for the the atlas, the way I see it is a way to harness the imagination mm-hmm. for the production of things to know. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, how I view it. And as a photographer, I know the just think as a photographer, I think as anybody mm-hmm. um, from doctor to economist, marketing, other uh, artists that work with other mediums, I think it's it is good to take a look at that intuition, that second nature that you might have mm-hmm. and see what feeds your subconscious and how you can harness that mm-hmm. to produce something new or to make a, an uncanny, unlikely connection mm-hmm. between things. Yeah, That brings me quite nice. The images that I've seen of your work, very striking, very powerful in terms of the colours that you use, very vibrant works, but also that uncanniness as well. Although often you're photographing people, there's something uncanny about them. Is, is that something you're striving for? Yes. Um, I actually recently had a question at my last talk at the University of St. Andrews. Someone had asked me, um, is my work surreal or is it like, is there like some magic realism mm-hmm. to it? And my answer to that was my my work process is surreal mm-hmm. in the sense that there's a lot of automatic writing involved. There's like these um, random associations that are kind of linked together to create something new. 
And then the way I translate that into my images is in the magic realism kind of way where, because I would like it, because what you have in photography is that for it to be photographable, it has to have existed. Yes. And I just want to create this very magical realm, this magical world that we can connect to, kind of a more tactile imagination. And I think for it not to, for it, for it to still be relatable, I think magic realism is the right language for that mm -hmm. because it is then something that could possibly take place but is most unlikely not to. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's this like this tension between realities. One of the things with the tilting axis, and I think it's a wonderful name because it describes quite nicely what they're interested in doing, is kind of reorientating the way that the, the Caribbean is perceived and its relationship to the rest of the world. Is that something that's important within your art? Obviously, you're from the Caribbean, so it's going to be a centre of the world for, in some ways for you. But is that important to establish its presence in the art world? Uh, yes. For me, my project, the the reason why I'm doing this project is to kind of reclaim the Caribbean narrative. Mm -hmm. Actually, it all starts from the fact that where I'm from, at least, I cannot speak for the whole Caribbean, but where I'm from, at least, I didn't learn as much about my own history as I would have liked. Mm -hmm. um, there isn't as much room for cultural artistic expression as I would like or would have liked. So for me, doing this project and going out here or taking that leap to reclaim a narrative or a history mm. in an artistic way, for me, that is the very foundation or the core mm -hmm. of this project. Do you think that's a colonial legacy that in the Caribbean that you're not taught as much about your own history or your own cultures, that there's this imposition from outside that has denuded of much of uh, it's, it's seen as being more valuable to know about the international scene rather than where you are no definitely it's definitely a a, a colonial thing because when i left the caribbean to go to europe to study because well i had to but i'll come back to that later mm -hmm. because that's a very dangerous thing to say well i had to leave to europe because my island is too small um or yeah, well, they're not. There no the 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 situation with institutions mm -hmm. when it comes to universities and islands is a bit complex because it's so called too small. But we have a, a private medical school there, a private American medical school there. Yeah, but okay. there are no other universities um, besides the University of Saint Martin, which teaches very specific things that I was not interested in. But most people, when they want to study something or to have any academic endeavors that they want to achieve, they need to go to Canada, France, the U.S. Mm -hmm various countries in Europe and I came to the Netherlands and there I found that everybody was able to speak of their own histories and I could join the conversation and speak about their own histories mm -hmm. but not about mine yeah. and that's when I realized that oh this is a bit weird what did I actually learn mm -hmm. I learned about the French Revolution the Boston Tea Party but I don't know anything about my own island only certain folk stories or mainly that Columbus had discovered, say, Martin. Oh, right. okay. That was very important. <laughs> yeah. And that we had come there as slaves. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a very negative place to start the history of blackness. And part of my project, Ghost Island, is to kind of reclaim that narrative and shift history 
to something that is more deeper and something more positive, something more magical. And coming back to what I said about why it's dangerous to say that I had to leave St. Martin to go to Europe is because in a very colonial way, we are taught to look towards Europe and to the America or to the United States of America as places where knowledge is kept, where these institutions are that we should yeah, enroll into because these are validated mm-hmm. by a kind of global hegemonic system. And we're never even taught to look towards other islands of the Caribbean because there are other universities in the Caribbean. So it's, it's, you have to leave the Caribbean altogether. You're not encouraged to say, oh, well, this, this island's got this university. Yeah, well, some go within the to a university within the Dutch kingdom, but there are other islands, the University of the West Indies, for example. But we can also go to universities in Africa. Those are also options. But right now, it's like a, it's also like a financial thing. But it's still, if thinking, looking back, thinking about leaving high school, leaving St. Martin, I was like, now I'm like, but there were so many other options in other places. There's something very interesting in the way that you said you kind of got to know about the slavery of how people arrived in slavery. But that is really cutting off an entire history, isn't it? It's saying that the only time that this history matters is when it coincides with Western and European and North American history. And the stuff before that is kind of hidden away. And I think that's, well, that's a very strong example of how colonialism works, both in terms of invading places, but invading minds and consciousness and owning both financially and culturally history. And it, it seems exciting to me that a lot of your work, because magic realism, which I can absolutely see that in the images, how it works, but there's a way of using imagination to reclaim space in your photography. So there's actually something very political about your yes. images, even though they are, I should also add, they're very, very beautiful in and of themselves. Yes. But then there's something else there about provoking imagination and looking at different possibilities and different ways of perceiving, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is, um, for me, the whole crux of the project, which is imagination in relation to a decolonization, because the imagination can be um, a political place, mm. a political playground. Because um, for me, what I'm trying to do with my project, because when you talk about decolonization, decolonizing people, a civilization, I think it's first and foremost starts with self. And it starts with knowing certain things. You start discovering certain histories are true, untrue. You you kind of kind of weed out the lies and the truth for yourself. Um, but the thing is with Black history, um, a lot of it was oral. A lot of it um, wasn't allowed to be written down. Um, so a lot of it comes from imagination. Um, and I think it is in the, it is a very interesting place to explore this. And to explore this way of knowing, because there's a knowing that is still not really validated by institutions mm-hmm. today. And I think the first step in decolonizing is to not look towards these institutions for validation, but to harness these ways of knowing anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's like the imagination can be used to deinstitutionalize, and it can be a means to a means for knowledge production um, for the sake of decolonization. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the foundation of my work because I use use academic sources in my work, but I also use orature. Mm -hmm. In my work, I do interviews with people, how they feel about 
their situation because it's something very important, but also um, certain spiritual um, occurrences. For some people, the imagination, you can it can be a synonym for something spiritual. It can be a synonym for intuition. Um, but for me, it's imagination. Mm-hmm. So. Well, this certainly fits in with both the aims of the residency itself, but also very exciting in terms of a project. It's, it's not even so much as reclaiming the past as reimagining and recreating and being very future orientated. You're looking towards something, I feel, of, of a better space. And, and those images that you create are kind of expressions of that, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I can see what you mean. Yeah, because it was all gearing towards a a better future mm-hmm. for us all, a, more, yeah. a future that is more equitable, mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, I've been asked if my work, because for some people, my work reminds them of something that's like can be described as Afro, Afro, Afro-futuristic. Yeah. Huh, okay. um, but that's not what I see in mm-hmm. my work at all, actually. I actually try not to be futuristic mm. in my work at all. I try to keep this... Um, timelessness to yeah. it. I try to have not no futuristic elements mm-hmm. at all, ex- like explicitly, um, because for me, when I talk about um, blackness and the black story, I'm talking about shifting histories from the slave narrative. Because the thing is, I think the notion because you have this like Black Panther um, kind of way Afrofuturism yes, wave yeah. where. Um, a lot of positive positivity around blackness is very future oriented, mm-hmm. which is very good. Yeah. But I think a lot of positivity around blackness is oriented towards the past as mm-hmm. well. A past that goes deeper than bondage. So yeah, listening to Ghosts of the Past and the Ghosts of the pu- Future, very hauntological in a sense. It comes down to an academic word for it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this like, omnipresence throughout time the, the beauty uh, this magical history of black people wonderful stuff well thank you so much for taking the time to talk today it's been a real pleasure and uh, is there any way people can actually get to have a look at your work yes right now there's no exhibitioning exhibition mm-hmm. happening um the next exhibition will be in new orleans mm-hmm. um right now we're still setting that up the dates will be when the dates are finalized, we'll put them on my website at www.lisandrosuriel.com or follow me at Instagram at lisandrosuriel. And absolutely, I recommend doing that straight away. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening in and thanks to Julian Rowan who made this happen and Kenny who made it audible. Check the CCA website for further details on all of the events discussed in this episode and thank you to Sunny Govern FM for broadcasting us. Until next month, I've been Gareth K. Vile and this is the CCA podcast for December. Thank you for listening.